0: Hello, this is Miss Leslie Barker. Thank you so much for joining in today to the Teachers of Good Things Podcast. Today I'm introducing to you Mrs. Kathy Rice. Her and her husband, Dr. Bill Rice, started the Bill Rice Ranch for the Hearing Impaired after seeing a need for a spiritual camp for their own daughter Betty, who was deafened by a meningitis at the age of two. The camp has continued on and led by their son. May the Lord speak to your heart as he did mine in this powerful lesson, One Flesh. Tonight, I'm going to speak on, you know, in, the, in your little pamphlet, little folder, it says, uh, The Right Romance and Marriage, but that's the wrong title. <laughs> right Romance and Marriage is a good lecture, and you can get that by writing to the Bill Rice Ranch and ordering that. That's a tremendous tape, I think. But uh, tonight I'm going to speak on, and the, and the outline's right, I'm going to speak on one flesh. One flesh. Now I have a companion tape for that. A companion tape. And uh, you know, most of the time when I'm in ladies' meetings, one night I'll speak on one flesh, and the next night I'll speak on what your husband needs to know. See? And that's a companion tape to what I'm going to speak on right now and so uh, I've got some of those tapes back yonder what your husband needs to know and you may have it for three dollars tonight if you'd like to have it and I'd be a companion to this tape which you can get from the sword tape book tape tape table tonight when I get through okay now it's enough of bragging on myself isn't it (laughs) let's get down to the nitty-gritty and let's pray Our Father pray you'll bless now. This is important, Lord. Help me to say the right things. Speak through me, Lord. Help us to have beautiful, beautiful marriages in America. Marriages that would be a picture of Christ and his bride. Help me now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, in spite of what we think, God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden. I think sometimes we get an idea, you know, boy, look what I've thought up. And you know what? I'm going to have the most wonderful marriage. I'm going to do it my way. And what happens? Well, it turns out wrong, doesn't it? It sure does. And, you know, I'm not talking about marriages turning out wrong in, with people in the world. I'm talking about people in our good, sound, independent, Bible-believing Baptist churches I'm talking about pastors and their wives. Now I travel all the time, and you know it breaks my heart, breaks my heart to see the unhappiness in marriage in our churches and among and between a pastor and his wife. Isn't that sad? That's really sad. It ought not be that way. The Bible's got the answer. You know that. You know, when I first was first married, my husband was pastor of a small, struggling church in Gainesville, Texas. And I was on, the, on this side, and, you know, after I married him. I'd always been out there as I grew up. But now I was on the other side, and I saw things I'd never seen before. I saw all kind of unhappinesses in marriage. And that was such a shock to me. My mom and dad were happily married, and I married, and I disposed everybody was happily married if they were in the church. I just suppose that. But here, the man that was our song leader, and he directed the choir and had a beautiful singing voice. We had this little old bitty choir, but we had a choir, you know. And he comes to my husband one day and tells him he's getting divorced. Oh, I couldn't believe that. You mean that man that sings so beautiful, he's going to get divorced? My goodness, couldn't believe that. And it wasn't very long till the man that was the Sunday school superintendent, he and his wife got separated. Oh, how could that ever happen? And then there was a woman that taught the ladies' Bible class. There about ten of us in that class, you know. But I thought, oh, that's the smartest woman. I, I just hope I know the Bible that well someday. I hope I'll be able to teach the Bible like that woman. And here she and her husband announced they were getting divorced. How could that be? Couldn't believe it. And that was over 48 years ago. My goodness. Couldn't believe that. So I said to my husband one day, you know, I hope our marriage doesn't fall upon bad times. How's that all happen anyway? And my husband said, well, I don't know. But he said, i tell you what let's do. Let's get the Bible and a concordance and let's go through and find every verse that deals with marriage and then let's base our marriage on that. So we did. Now, I'll have to admit there's some verses I didn't know if I liked or not. My goodness. We came to that verse that said, "Wives, obey your husbands in everything." You mean I gotta obey him in everything? Well, maybe I don't want to. (laughs) And maybe I'm smarter than he is about some things. And maybe sometimes he's gonna do something wrong, and I know it. You mean I got to obey him? Well, Kathy, if you want your marriage. To be a success, you gotta do it the Bible way. So I, my husband, I set out right then to use the Bible as our basis for our marriage. We didn't read any marriage books. We didn't read anything by any marriage counselors. We didn't read any, by any brainy smart professors. We just took the Bible. Now you know what you can't go wrong by doing that. You know that. You can't go wrong. And you know where marriage starts? Right back in the Garden of Eden. Right back in the Garden of Eden. And so uh, we know the old, old story, don't we? How God made a man. God made a man. And he placed him in the beautiful Garden of Eden. And God didn't want the men to be lazy. And so God said, you dress and keep the garden. You keep busy. And more than that, God had made all these animals, all these animals, and God said, Here, here's all these animals, and uh, uh, they're tame, and they're wonderful. Uh, you can just enjoy these animals. And by the way, Adam, give a name to each one of them. Give them all a name. So Adam did. And my God was pleased with his creation. Yes, it, he certainly was. In Genesis 1, It says, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Not just good, but very good. But we go to the very next chapter in Genesis 2.18, and we see something that's not good. All of a sudden there's something that's not good. He said, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should live alone. I will make him help meet for him. Well, my goodness, didn't it seem like God had everything? Seemed like it? Ah, he had this beautiful garden that he could take care of and oh my, how wonderful that was. All the beautiful fruit trees and I imagine a lot of gorgeous flowers. Oh, he just must have had his hands really full and was really busy all the time. Oh, how wonderful. And more than that, uh, Adam had all the animals. I don't know how your husband would have been, but my husband would have really been in heaven right there because he was an animal lover. My husband, oh, you know, he grew up with horses. He was a cowboy in West Texas. Then when uh, he felt like the Lord wanted him to preach, he left that. He gave it up, but the Lord gave it all back to him. Then we got to Bill Rice Ranch and started to camp for deaf boys and girls. We got all our horses back again. And he loved a dog. You know, I'd never had a dog, not one time in all my life. My mother would have died before she'd had one of those filthy creatures. <laughs> But when I got married, we hadn't been married but two or three weeks. When one day my husband came in, he said, Got a present for you. Oh, you do? What is it? A dog. <laughs> a dog? What am I going to do with a dog? <laughs> and you know what? I was married for 42 years. And for 42 years, I had a dog. And you know, a dog to be a rice when the dog. It's a part of the family. I mean, it slept in our bedroom. It ate at our table. It, it went to prayer meeting. I mean, when we had devotions, it was in our devotions. <laughs> when we went in the car, it went in the car with us. Boy, that dog was always right there. See? And you know what I, I used to say. Well, I still say it. When Dr. John Rice married us, he should have said, "Do you take this man and his dog to be your lawfully wedded husband?" <laughs> so my husband would have loved the garden of eden have all those animals he would really have loved that all right and then besides that you know what adam had god himself because every day in the cool of the evening god left heaven above to come down to the garden of eden to have fellowship with the man isn't that wonderful My goodness. But God said, you know, it's not good for that man to be alone. And even Adam himself noticed that. Yes, sir, because uh, Adam, in Genesis 2.20, it said, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowls of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a help meet for him. He said, my goodness, how come? There's a he cow and a she cow. There's a he dog and a she dog. There's a he cat and a she cat. There's a he fish and a she fish. <laughs> but for me, it's just only me. Just me, see? And so God had created a man with a need. see. God had created a man with a need. And this need in Adam... Was to have someone that could be closer, more near, more dear to him than any other person on earth. That's what Adam needed. He needed somebody to be just as close to him, closer than anybody else on earth. Well, you think God could have said, you know what? That man, it's not good for him to be down there alone. I'll make another man. And they can be pals, and they can work together and keep in the garden, and they can take care of the animals, and you know, they can talk to one another. I'll just make another man. Was it another man that Adam needed? No. No one, another man. Maybe God could have said, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make a bunch of children. You can't get bored and lonesome when you got a bunch of kids around. See? I'll make a bunch of children. Was it children that Adam needed? No. Our children are our joy and we love our children but there's not any place in the Bible where it says that a mother and her children to be one flesh or a daddy and his children to be one flesh. No place. See? We are giving our children for a time to teach, to train, to turn them out right for manhood and womanhood. Then we cut the apron strings and let them go You know, I deal with women all the time. You know what one of the main complaints is that I get from women? My husband's still a mama boy. Don't tie your son to your apron. I think it's worse with mothers and sons. Don't tie your sons to your apron string. They make horrible husbands. Cut them loose and let them go. Let them learn to stand on their own two feet. All right. So, you see, it wasn't children that Adam needed. so, maybe you could have said, God could have said, You know that, I just feel sorry for that poor old man I put down there, bless his little old heart. I'm going to make him a mommy. does <laughs> the boy need a mother? Yes, for a time. But not until death do us part. You know what Adam needed? He needed a sweetheart. He needed a sweetheart. So that's what God provided, a sweetheart for Adam. And you know the story how God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and God took a bone. Now everything that God does, he does exactly right. There's not any guess or maybe or happenstance, no. Everything God does, he does exactly right. So even the bone that God took was exactly the right bone. Don't you think God could have created woman out of the dust of the ground like he did the man? Yes, he could have. Don't you think God could have taken a toe bone to make the woman? Yeah, he could have. Or a head bone. Or a thumb bone. Yeah. He could have taken whatever he wanted to. But he took a rib from under Adam's arm and near his heart to ever love and protect that sweetheart of his. Isn't that good? And here now we get the very first picture of Christ and his bride. Because just as Adam's side was wounded for his bride, so Christ's side was wounded for we who are Christians, his bride. Remember they pierced his side? Alright. So here now we have the very, very first picture of Christ and his bride. And when Adam woke up, and he saw this beautiful creature there, a lot like he was. You know, she had two eyes, two ears, a nose, and a mouth. He, she looked a lot like he did, but different, but different. And Adam looked at that, and he, you know what it says? And Adam said, boy, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And my husband told me that that really says, Adam says, boy, this is it. This is what I've been needing. See, this is it. And so in my language, what Adam said was, wow. <laughs> that beautiful, beautiful creature. And so God, Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. Because she was taken out of men. Therefore shall a man leave, 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 leave. Hear that? His father and his mother and shall cleave, stick like glue, to his wife. And they shall be one flesh. One flesh. So now you see, God established right back there in the book of Genesis in the very beginning that husband and wife were to be closer than anybody else on earth. They were to be one flesh. And to get this picture established, God actually made Eve from a part of the man. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Well, that's why it's so important that you teach your daughters and your sons that that person they marry, they're to be just like one person, one flesh, closer, more dear, more near than anybody else on earth. When you get married, you don't ever say, well, I don't know, I think maybe mom and Papa are right. Don't you ever do it. You marry him, he's right every single time every single time as far as the world is concerned your children are concerned your in-laws your own folks as far as everybody is concerned he's always right you're one flesh one flesh you're not going to bite yourself or pinch yourself or pull your hair or hurt yourself then you ought not want to hurt your husband or put him in a bad light Hmm? one flesh and then when you get in the privacy of your own bedroom if you think maybe he's been wrong you can tell him but not before the world. And on the other hand, he should always be on your side. Never go on the side of his parents, his brother, his boss. He always takes up for you. You're one flesh. And over in Ephesians it says, No man ever yet hurts his own body, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it, even as Christ, as the Lord, the church. All right. So, uh, he ought not do anything to hurt you. Now when you get alone, if he thinks you're wrong and he thinks you need the paddling, then let him give you paddling, see? All right. No. if he thinks you're wrong, let him tell you. Let him tell you. But you're one flesh. You're one flesh. And God established this now right back in the book of Genesis. And just as God knew that Adam needed a sweetheart, needed a person that would be a exactly right for him so God knows that for every man ever born into this world that word help meet means a person suitable a person fit so you're to be suitable you're to be fit for your husband your husband needs a sweetheart and in Titus 2.4 it talks about what the older women are to teach the younger women and that doesn't mean just because the woman's old that she's got the uh, capability or the spirituality to teach younger women and my husband told me that the context of this is you women who are mature in the gospel see, if you've been saved then grow up don't stay a baby in the Lord you grow up and let your example your influence influence and teach those who have just been saved Maybe you're 40 years old, but you were saved when you were 8 years old. And you have the influence, or you go out and you get a woman 60 years old saved. Now who's the aged woman? You, 40 years of age, ought to be an aged woman to that 60-year-old woman, right? Because you've been saved ever since you were 8 years old. So here in Titus now saying, you women who are grown up now, you're mature in the gospel You teach these that are new. You be an example to them. And it gives all these lists of things. But there's one thing there it says we're to teach. And that is, that teach these new ones in the gospel to love their husbands. Well, doesn't a woman love her husband? I think most of the time a woman, you know, a woman's a lot more long-suffering with a man than a man is with a woman. And I think most of the time a woman will put up and put up with and still love a Man. And as far as I know, that's the only time in the Bible a woman's told to love her husband. But a man's often reminded or admonished or commanded to love his wife. And so I said to my husband one day, I wonder why that's in there. Why does it say that a woman's to love her husband like she's to love her children? No woman loves her children. So my husband said, I'll look it up for you. So he did. Oh, boy, this is good. This is good. About loving your children, that means you're to have a long-looking love. Not this kind of love right now where you pamper and spoil and smother them with love. You're going to turn out a spoiled brat, see? No, you take a long-looking love. You say, I love this child enough that I'm going to look in the future and see he's going to be a man one day or she's going to be a woman one day. So I've got to do right and love him right enough now to discipline and to train them so they'll turn out right. You have a long-looking love. And so with a husband, love your husband. My husband said, that says, have a sweetheart love for your husband until death do us part. You're supposed to be his sweetheart until death do us part. You're supposed to be his sweetheart. Now, I don't know why, where it ever got started that you don't have to be sweethearts after you've been married a couple of years. You're supposed to be sweethearts all the way. God made a man to need a precious sweetheart by his side. God made a man. It's not a woman that needs a help meet. It's a man. It's a man. Have you ever watched a man when he loses his wife? Poor old soul. He's just a pitiful sight, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he can't sew on a button. He can't really cook meals. His house gets to be a hog pen. If he's got children, he has to get some woman to come and take care of them. Oh man, he just needs a helpmeet. God made him that way. He needs a helpmeet. Now, we lose our husbands... Oh, it's a heart-rendering thing. And you never get over missing them. And uh, it's just sad. But we can get along without a man. Isn't that awful to say? But we can. Yeah, we can get along. You know, I can cook my own meals. I still clean my house. I drive my car. I still, I just miss him. But I can get along without him. And if need be, go out and get a job. It's a man that needs a helpmeet. It's a man that needs a helpmeet. So in Genesis 2.24 it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. One flesh. Ephesians 5.31 For this cause, what cause? The cause of marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. One flesh. Matthew 19:5. Jesus said. Jesus said. For this cause marriage shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. One flesh. Mark 10:8. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh, like one person. First Corinthians six sixteen. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Or is he joined to a harlot? They become one flesh. So when you get married now and the marriage vows and take the marriage vows and your marriage is consummated, then that makes you one flesh. One flesh. One flesh. And a man needs only one wife. One. Did you know you can take care of every single need that your husband has? God has given you the capability to do that. You can take care of all his needs. All of his needs. In Deuteronomy 1727 it says, Neither shall men multiply wives to himself. Now I didn't want a man to have more than one wife. One wife can take care of all of his needs. One wife. First Timothy 3 2, and often in the New Testament it says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. One wife. So one wife. Uh, you can take care of all his needs but you know what you fail to do that often you fail to do that and when does that take place when you get that first baby when you get that first baby oh you know before you were so sweet to him oh before you got married you jumped every time he spoke Ooh, you could be just busy in your schoolwork, I don't know, whatever you was doing, and he'd come by and honk the horn, and boy, out that door you'd go. I don't care if I've got the most important exam on earth tomorrow. My sweetie pie's here. <laughs> oh, boy, you sure jumped to go when it, before you were married, and just a short time after you were married. Just a short time. You know, we have the Bill Rice Ranch, and we have five youth weeks every summer, and we'll have between, well, always over a 1,000, most times 1,200 a week. We have young people. We'd have more than that if we had the room for them, but and it's so sweet to watch them. And so at the Bill Rice Ranch, we have a horseshoe, a road that goes around like this. And over on this side of that road is the dormitories for the girls that stay and over on this side of the road is the dormitories where the boys stay and never the twain shall meet. The boys aren't allowed to go over that road and the girls aren't allowed to go over that road. Now they can sit together in the tabernacle and they will sit together in the dining hall. But boy, in their rooms, they both got their sides and that's where they stay. So, you know, I watch a little boy and a girl and they get to be real good friends and this little boy will say, you know what, my mama didn't put enough shirts in for me. Oh, she didn't? No, everything I've got's dirty. Well, she says with twinkles in her eyes, bring them to me, I'll wash them. Yeah. So he says, All right, I'll go get them. And so he goes to his cabin and he gets them the shirts, you know, and he goes over to that road and he stretches as far as he can. And she's over yonder and she reaches as far as she can and she takes the shirts and she takes them back to her room, you know, and she washes them tenderly and lovingly and she irons them and she fixes them all up. And the next day she says to him, maybe in, at breakfast, I got your shirts, ready. Ooh You're the sweetest thing oh. And so she says I'll bring him to you So she tenderly and lovingly She carries him over to the road And she stretches as far as she can And he stretches as far he thinks Ooh, thank you Twinkle, 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 twinkle <laughs> And oh, they're just so sweet and loving. And they come back the next summer and oh, their romance has grown, you know. And pretty soon they get married. And oh, they're just so sweet. And you know, they're first married and they go someplace and she sits just like that with him. Oh, she just loves him. Oh, I'm his sweetheart, see. I'm his sweetheart. And then one day he says, Honey, I don't have a shirt. Will you wash me a shirt? No, go wash yourself. I'm busy. Now, isn't that sad? Hmm? Isn't that sad? He needs you to be his loving sweetheart all the days of your life. All the days. You ought to be willing to do what he needs done when he asks you to. You ought to be thr- thrilled and proud and pleased that he wants you to do for him. He wants you to do for him. And I have women say to me all the time, I wish my husband would grow up. He can't. He he needs you as long as you live. And you need to be there to be needed. He says, Sally, where's my shirt? Well, honey, it's hanging in the closet. Well, I can't see it. (laughs) Uh, That husband of mine, I wished he'd grow up. And you go to the closet, right there it is. Well, oh, I'm sorry I couldn't see it. What did I do with my Bible? You put it on top of the piano. Well, it's not here. Oh, all I've got to do, I have to always run out and see about him. Hmm? And you go, and right there's the Bible. Hmm? Mm -hmm. but you know why you don't have time for him to wrap up in your children Mm -hmm. and you say well you sound like you don't love children Ms. Rice yes I do but you're supposed to be teaching your children to stand on their own feet and to get their own shirts and to find their own Bible while you're taking care of your husband Mm -hmm. he needs that and I hate to say this, but if you don't take care of him, another woman's going to. Did you know that? If you don't do it, another woman's going to do it. Because God just made a man to need a helpmate. And I just want to tell you something, gals. If you got a loving husband, you'd better thank the Lord for him and you better jump every time he hollers. Because if you don't, that little secretary down his office is going to. Do you know that? Huh? And pretty soon he's going to find out. You're too busy for him. You're too busy with the children. You're too busy with church work. Aren't those good things? Yeah, those are good things. But it's bad if you're too busy for your husband. Hmm? It's bad if you're too busy for your husband. Honey, uh, I need to go to the hospital and visit. Come go with me. Oh, I can't, can't. Got the children. Got to take care of the children. Got the children. Got to do for the children. Got to watch out for the children. Children, children, children. And you let your children get in between you and your husband. You know, a young man said to me recently, It works at the Bill Rice Ranch. He said to me, he said, he's been there about 10 years. He said, you know, it's hard for me to believe my husband's been gone six years, but he has. Anyway, this young man said to me, he said, You and know, I came to the ranch, Ms. Rice, I just admired you. I said, Me? Why? What did I do? He said, At your age, like I was ancient, you know. <laughs> At your age, I noticed when you got in the car, you sat right by your husband. Yeah, I did, for 42 years. Hmm? Who moves? Not your husband. You do. Hmm? And when do you move? When you get that first baby, then the baby goes in the middle. Then you get another one, and you get two in between. <laughs> and if you got 15 kids, all 15 in between you and your husband. Hmm? Now that's sad, isn't it? Hmm? All right. So watch out. If you're not there, when your husband yells... He's going to find another woman they will take care of him, they will lift him up. I think he's just the most wonderful person on earth. You're too busy with the kids. Too busy with the kids. You know, I was in a ladies' retreat last year up in Wisconsin, and a group of women from Chicago drove up for this retreat. And I spoke on this and told this what I've said to you folks tonight. To you ladies tonight, and afterwards a woman came up to me and she said, you hit the nail on the head. She said, you know, for 15 years I have been the secretary to the executive vice president of Sears and Roebuck Company. And she said, I've got a very important job. Well, that would be important, wouldn't it? And she said, you know what? Every time my boss yells, I jump. She said, I take care of him hand and foot. I bring him coffee. I clean his desk. She said, I even go out and buy gifts for his wife him. And I just do everything he wants. I'm at his beck and call all day long. But she said, when I get home at night and my husband says, Honey, will you do so and so for me? I say, No, you do it yourself. I've worked all day. Now she said, I've got that exactly backwards, don't I? And I said, You certainly do. It's your husband you ought to be jumping every time he calls, it's your husband you ought to be taking care of all day long, it's your husband you ought to be mindful of but you've got that boss in his place. Yeah, that's just as wrong as it can be. And she bowed her head and we prayed and she said, I'm going home and resign my position. Well, I told this very same story. I told this story about this woman at the Bill Rice Ranch this summer. And afterwards, it was during a family week, afterwards, a woman came up and she said, Do you recognize me? I said, well, your face is familiar, but I don't, You tell me who you are. She said, I was that secretary of the vice president at Sears and Roebuck Company. Oh, my goodness. I said, did I tell the story right? (laughs) Yeah. She said, you sure did. I said, well, did you resign your job? She said, yes, I did. And she said, you know what? My home is a heaven on earth now. We were all we were just ready to split. We never had a kind word for one another. We fought like cats and dogs. And she said, when I resigned my job, it put my boss in such a state that he had to be put in the hospital. Now he said, guys, if you got a husband, love him. Be his sweetheart. Be his me Take care of him. And the reason I tell you this is because, oh, as I travel, I see so much heartache. Marriages in good, good churches. A couple of years ago, I was invited to Canada for a ladies' retreat, and I'd been there. For three years in a row, this is going to be my fourth time, and they had a fine young pastor. Just the fine, and oh, he had the cutest little wife, just as cute as a button, pretty, always dressed nice, always looked nice, just the sweetest little thing. I just thought she was so sweet. And they were just such a cute little couple. And just about two weeks for was to go, a pastor from another church in Canada called me and said. Miss Rice, then you'll not be going to such and such a church for a retreat Will you come to our church. Well, I said, what do you mean I'm not going to such and such a church? He said, there's no church there. No church there? What do you mean? He said, the pastor ran off with the assistant pastor's wife, and it so devastated the church. It just was completely demolished there's no church there now well I said it's hard for me to believe that I mean no church well there's having four or five hundred in Sunday school you mean there's no church there at all he said I mean no church I said well I'll think about it and pray about it and I'll get back with you but I just couldn't believe that no church I couldn't believe that but I called another pastor And I said, is it true about such a church? They've had this problem, and there's no church. He said, I'm sorry to say, there's no church. Well, isn't that something? What if I'd have gone up there and and hadn't been anybody there? Wouldn't that have been? I'm sure glad I found out. But anyway, I called back the pastor and said, yes, I'll come be with you. So I was there on a Thursday night, all day Friday, Saturday till noon. And at noon, they wound up with a banquet and the husbands came, they invited the husbands. Oh, that was kind of nice, wasn't it? And it was served cafeteria style, so I went and got my plate full, and I was looking for a place to sit, and I saw a cute little girl in a vacant seat by her, and I started to go sit down. I thought, no, I guess that's for the mother. See? and on, on the other side of the little girl was a man, and on the other side of the man was a little boy. And the man said to me, oh, Miss Rice, did you want to sit here? I said, was that place vacant? He said, yes, it is. I said, well, yes, I'll sit there. So I sat down and I talked to the little girl. You know, I said, my, what pretty brown eyes you've got. And I talked about how sweet and everything she was, you know. And then pretty soon I said, which was a very natural question, where's your mommy? And the father spoke up and said, oh, it was my wife that ran off with the pastor. Now, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Evidently, somebody hadn't been doing what they were supposed to do. That's sad, isn't it? Breaks your heart. And that's not an isolated case. That happens all the time. All the time. Now, you need to get down and be what the Lord intends you to be. Oh, the world's got us so full of Express yourself Show how important you are Come on, do some things for yourself Don't be an old housewife and a mother you ask the greatest honor God could bestow upon a woman? I'm just full up to here Or up to here (laughs) With the way the world tells us that we're second-rate citizens If we're a mother and a house and a wife isn't that sad? You just do good what God has given you to do. And say, Lord, I thank you that I've got that wonderful sweetheart of mine. Boy, I'm hanging on to him tight. No other woman's going to get him. I'm going to protect and guard what I've got. Mm-hmm. You know, I told you I travel all the time. And I've been sitting in airports a great deal. And uh, let me, I'll tell you this first. When my husband was alive, and all my nieces back here know this, my husband always bought my clothes. And he had this fantastic taste in clothes. And I always knew if he bought it, then it would look good on me. He just knew what, what I needed. And so he always bought my clothes. And just before he died, we went to town one day, and he saw a blue suit that he liked, and he insisted that I get it. And it really was a beautiful suit. It was a light blue and had a light blue satin blouse to go with. It. Just really a beautiful suit. And it's the type of suit that you know when you wear it you feel feel dressed up. I always felt good when I wore that suit. And nothing when I traveled, I liked to wear it because you know I think I think it's nice for a woman to wear a suit when she travels. And so uh, this particular day I was in the airport and I had on this blue suit just after my husband had died. And if you travel very much, you know that most of the time, when you're going to fly, they assign you a seat. You know, They'll say, you want smoking or non-smoking? And I always say, non-smoking aisle. I like to sit on the aisle. I don't know, when you put me over there by that window, I feel scrunched in. <laughs> I want to be on the aisle so if something happens, I can run and get out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I'd go, but at least I felt better on the aisle. (laughs) But this particular day, it was open seating. And so that means first serve, first come. First come, first serve. First gets on the airplane, you get the choice seats, you know. So I sit down in the chair right by the gate. So when the plane was announced, I could get up and run on and get me a good seat up towards the front of the plane away from all the smokers and get me an aisle seat. And I was sitting there reading, and a man came in. This is a tall, handsome man, I would say, in his early 60s. had still gray hair, still had a big full head of hair. Oh, beautifully dressed in a tailored suit. And I noticed his attache case. He stood there and looked around, looked around, looked around. He had a beautiful attache case. Uh, I think it must have been alligator skin. Just a beautiful, very, very expensive looking. And he stood there and looked around. Many, many, many vacant seats in the waiting room. But he said to me, Pardon me, may I sit on the other side of you? And I said, Yes. I just supposed he wanted to sit there where he get to the gate quick too and get out, you know. And I put my legs aside and he walked past and when he did, he kicked me. And he said, oh, pardon me. I said, that's all right. And he sat down, opened up his attache case and did some work. He got it all finished. He put it on the envelope he licked it, sealed it. And then he said to me, would you watch my case while I go mail this letter? Yes, I will. So he went out He's gone a little while, then he came back. He said, pardon me, and he walked through. He kicked me again. <laughs> oh, my, he said, I'm sorry. I, my big old feet, I'm sorry. I said, well, I said I guess I could move down, then you wouldn't have to be walking over me all the time. Well, he said, well, I'm not going to get up anymore. And so... <laughs> That opened up the way for conversation. So he said, you know, he said, I've been noticing that blue suit you have on. He said, that certainly is a beautiful suit. And I wanted to get it established real quick that I'd been married, you know. So I said, well, my husband bought this suit for me. And he said, well, you know, he said, your husband's a very foolish man to let a woman like you out alone. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I don't ever have any trouble. I said, I travel all the time. I said, by the way, my husband is deceased, and I travel all the time. Nobody ever bothers me. So he said, well, are you, do you live here, or are you going home? <clears throat> I said, I, I live in Murfreesboro, and I'm on the way to Richmond. He said, well, that's where I live. He said, uh, I have a business there. And then he told me that he had a branch business in Nashville, and once, uh, once a year, he comes for six weeks to stay and to see about his branch business in Nashville. And he's done that for many, 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 many years. And so he said, and, and so you live here. So I told him where I lived at the Bill Rice Ranch. I told him my husband was an evangelist. and told him a little bit about what we did. And uh, so uh, I asked him, I said, do you go to church? He said, oh, yes. He said, I've, I was saved when I was eight years old. Isn't that nice? You know, he said, I was saved. He said, I go to the First Baptist Church in Richmond. He said, I'm very active. He said, I'm a deacon in the church, and my wife teaches a ladies' Bible class, and all of our children grew up, and our children were all saved in that church. And so that was nice. I was glad to hear that. And then the plane came, and I thought, well, good. Goodbye, mister. You know? <laughs> and I got up, hurried and got on the plane. He came and sat down right by me. <laughs> so I still had him. So we talked about Mary's and I told him all about the Bell Rice Ranch, about our deaf ministry and about my daughter and my other kids. You know, I have five children, my three sons are preachers, and my two daughters are married to men in full time gospel work and so I'm very proud of that, you know, and I told him all about that and 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 everything, you know, and so now we getting close to Richmond. And so he said to me, He said, You know, he said When I come back next year, oh, I forgot. He said, you know, all these years that I've been coming to Nashville, I've always stayed in the Maxwell House Hotel. Now, you know the thing about the Maxwell House Hotel? It's a very famous hotel in Nashville. And it's been there for years and years and years. And when Andrew Jackson was president, He came home to Nashville and he was in the Maxwell House Hotel eating and they served him coffee and they had their own brew of coffee and they said, Andy, how do you like our coffee? And he said, it's good to the last drop. That's where that came from. So he said, all these years that I've come to Nashville, I've always stayed at the Maxwell House Hotel. But it burned down a few years ago. It burned down. And he said, but you know, it burned down last year. And so he said, I couldn't stay there this year. So he said, I went to the Opryland Hotel. He said, my, that's a nice hotel. Have you ever been there? I said, yes, I've been there. He said, Isn't that nice? I said, it sure is. By the way, they have rebuilt the Maxwell House, in case you're interested, but it's not downtown like it used to be. It's on the outskirts. It's still a nice hotel, All right. and they still have Maxwell House coffee and Maxwell House tea. Okay. All right. But anyway, this man said, you know, he said, uh, I think when I come back next year, I'll stay out at the Opryland Hotel again, and then he said to me, when I come back, would you come to the hotel And have a meal with me? And I said, no, I can't do that. I said, no, I wouldn't do that. You're married. Oh, he said, I don't mean anything by it. He said, I'm a Christian man. I don't mean anything by it. He just said, I come for six weeks. And I'm busy all day long. But at night, it's hard. He said, I'm lonesome. He said, I can't go to the shows and the... In the various places. And he said, I'm just lonesome. And I've enjoyed talking with you. And if you just come in and have a meal with me, well, it would just be nice. That's all I mean, just come and have a meal with me. Well, I said, I don't think I ought to do that. But i tell you what. I said, next time you come back, you call me and we'll invite you out to the Bill Rice Ranch and you could eat with my sons and me. He said, well, maybe I'll do that. Then I said, let me ask you a question. Why don't you bring your wife? Why, she'd love it. My goodness. Opryland Hotel, got all kinds of shops in the hotel. And right over the, right by it is Opryland. There's so much to see, so many things to do. She would just love it. Bring your wife. And you know what that man said? I want to, and I've tried for 30 years to get her to come, but she won't. He said, for many years it was, no, I can't, got the children. Johnny's going to have a recital. Susie's in a play. I got the PTA. Can't go. He said, I was patient. I thought... Well one day the children will grow up, then she'll come with me. She says, our children are all grown now. And now she says, Oh, I can't go. Got the grandchildren. Got a babysitter for Melanie. Gotta take care of Susie's children. Oh, our grandson's gonna have a trumpet recital. Oh, I got my clubs. Oh, I'm busy with my church. No, I can't go. No, I can't go. Now how do you feel about that woman? Great, big, tall, handsome man. Would you blame him if he got wandering eyes for another woman? Hmm? And you know what I thought? I'd like to get that woman and give her a piece of my mind. I'd like to get that woman and paddle her real good. Now, wouldn't you? But you're just as bad. You've got a husband and he needs you. You're to take care of him like you take care of your own flesh. And if you don't, watch out. Some woman's going to get him. Let's pray. Father, bless these ladies. Help them to realize how important it is to be a helpmeet and let them do the job well. We pray you have been blessed by the message you've just heard. The Sword of the Lord has many helpful materials available for purchase. For a free catalog, please call 1-800-251-4100 or you may reach us on the web at swordofthelord.com. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.